Welcome to the Hills Church Podcast. Hills Church is a four-square church in Laguna Hills, California. Visit us on the web at hillschurchoc.com. Barnabas and Saul, for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. So what begins to happen here is we see that this church in Antioch, because we're no longer talking about the church in Jerusalem, but now we're talking about the church in Antioch, that is now beginning to build up and produce just a mighty move of God to be able to ready to send Paul and Barnabas out into the nations in Asia Minor or in modern-day Turkey and all across the Roman Empire. But in order to get into this picture of how this actually formed and cultivated into the sending movement, we have to go back a little bit to where it all started. And it starts off in Acts chapter 1, where Jesus says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all of Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And so what that really is saying is that before you can actually have a garden, what do you need? You need a farmer. You need a farmer that is going to be willing to move and start this growth process to make something happen and develop. And what does the farmer have to do? Well, if you have a very big field, you can't do this all by yourself, correct? So what do you need? The farmer gathers his laborers. As Jesus says in uh, Matthew 9:37, that the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Meaning that I can't do this all on my own, but I want to invite you guys to partner with me in sharing in this harvest and in this growth in the church and in the people and the lives that I want to see developed. And it's Jesus who becomes our farmer that teaches us how we need to operate and how we need to plant the seed, how we need to develop and take care of this, uh, the seed and the plant to see it walk into the fullness and growth. And it started with Jesus and him training with his disciples and seeing them develop into the character and the way that God has created them to be and to see them produce what happened in the rest of Acts. As we see from there, the Holy Spirit gets poured out on them. And then in Acts 3 and Acts 4, then you see the churches moving. And then you see Peter and John and everybody going all around Judea, sharing the gospel and seeing uh, revival happen in that city and being able to see the wondrous works of God. And so with that, Jesus commands all who believe in him that there is a work that we need to do as laborers. And so now we'll come flash forward. We're about 10 to 15 years uh, since Jesus left, and now we are actually participating in chapter 11. Now, in chapter 11, as last week we read, with Peter, who was in prison and then escaped. But then there's actually an interlude within chapter 11, where it says this about the church of Antioch. Now, those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and of Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists also, preaching the Lord Jesus, and the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. So we see as this begins to form, there's a seed that's being planted. We know that when it comes to planting the seed and knowing that we need laborers, it involves not just one type of labor, but involves different type of laborers. 
You know, what's so cool about uh, Antioch and where it's located is it's actually up north, in, uh, up north in Syria. It's about almost close to the Asia Minor where it's about to curve over. So it's an access point to the nations, more or less, of the Roman Empire. And it says that there's many men who are actually preaching the good news all around the Roman Empire. And we mostly hear about Peter and John and some of the disciples. But here there's an acknowledgement that Luke, who wrote this book, acknowledges these two unknown men that came from very different places. One was from Cyprus, and one was from Cyrene. Now the thing about Cyprus and Cyrene are those are very opposite places. As we hear for Cyprus, it's actually an island. If you were to look on a map of Israel, you would see in the Mediterranean a little island. It kind of has a curve with a little kind of sword at the end. That's where one of them were from. But then for the other guy from Cyrene, that place is actually a little bit farther west. It was actually on the continent of Africa, and in that, it was actually located in modern-day Libya. So think how far that is. So imagine someone from New York and Mexico going to another nation together from two different types of cultures. That would be really crazy to see how God works in that. But how did that actually happen? How did these two men just decide, woke up one day and said, hey, you know, I'm just going to go to Antioch and hope for the best? Well, it started off with the Holy Spirit, because the Holy Spirit is always wanting to partner the church together, to work them, not just in one people group, but a multiple cultural dynamic to where they can come together to focus on one people group. And what's so beautiful about that is that they took the obedience to say, you know what, I don't know what's going on, but I'm going to trust the Lord that he's going to get me there. And then they ended up both in Antioch. And I kind of think it's weird when they would come and meet each other, because if you ever think about it, you're walking in a city that you don't know where you are, what the culture's like, and you're someone that maybe has spoken a different language too. And then you also meet a guy that says, oh yeah, I heard the Holy Spirit, he told me to come here too. Well, that's great, but think how weird that would be like, oh yeah, you heard God too? Well, thank God at least I'm not alone in this, right? It's scary to go in another nation by yourself. But these guys came from two different types of cultures, maybe two different types of languages at the time. And even with that being said, they were able to focus on one thing, and that was the gospel. It's one mission. It's one message. And they're able to share it to these people group because it says that most of the people in Antioch that went to share the gospel was going to the Jews. But these two men, these unknown men, decided to speak to the Greeks. And that's really the first time that we kind of hear of a new movement happening within the Greeks and into the Gentile world, seeing the gospel move. And because of that, they had to adapt into this new culture and humble themselves to be able to walk into the ways in which they can respond to the message of Christ. Because now, we're not just trying to share the Old Testament to the Jews, but now they have to figure out a way of sharing uh, Greek thought and Greek ways into the light of Jesus. Because it's a different place and different location in order for them to reach the truth and hearing about Jesus. What begins to happen after that is, we'll read in Acts 11, 23-26, as it says, the report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad, and he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith, and a great many people who were added to the Lord. So Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he had found him, he brought him into Antioch. And for a whole year, they met with the church and taught a great many people. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. 
Well, now we see that as these two unknown men begin to plant the seed of the gospel in Antioch, well, what becomes next? People hear about these good news, and now the church in Jerusalem hears about this and says, now we need to grow, and now we need to build a firm foundation within the Antioch church. And so what do they do? They send out Barnabas, and Barnabas sees the fruitfulness that is happening within the community. And because of this, Barnabas says, you know, we need to bring other people in. So he brings Paul in to be able to build a stronger foundation, because when you can work together as a community, you build a stronger foundation. Because if you notice with roots, what begins to happen is then it spreads out. You don't just have one giant root, but you have multiple roots that are big, uh, digging deeper in the ground. And so with those roots, what does it require? It requires extra work. With the people accepting Jesus in Antioch, you have, I mean, think about it, maybe 50 to 100 people that are trying to get discipled, right? And so with that, you're going to need the extra work. You're going to need the help because when God is moving and there's a bigger growth that's happening within the community, you're going to need all the help you can get. Again, going back to Jesus, he was just one man. He could have done it all himself, but he decided to bring the disciples along with him to partner in that and to be able to expand the gospel, to expand the church. And so it requires that. It requires help. To build roots, you need help. You need to provide more because what ends up happening... Hello? Hello? There we go. Hello? You're up there? All right. Well, it's all right. Hello? There we go. Perfect. Well, I got that echo. Sound like Moses, the Ten Commandments. Oh, we lost it. That's a bummer. Oh, well. So it requires extra work. And then part of having roots is to build a stronger foundation. I mean, Barnabas believed it was a good idea to bring Paul in for the growth of the community. And notice that it says it's about a year that it happens. The thing about roots is that it takes a long time to grow and build a strong foundation, Right? Because think about these roots. They have to press through the dirt to be able to reach the nutrients inside. It's got to press down into the earth to build a stronger foundation so that when the plant actually sprouts up, that nothing will sway it from the left or to the right. And so as Paul decides to stay for a whole year to train these people into the ways of Christ is the way of how discipleship works. Discipleship is only and really about building a strong foundation and bringing people into the character and identity of Christ. Which brings me to my last point of it bringing a sense of identity. The idea that it says in the last verse that Antioch was the first place where people were called Christians. What a Christian or a Christian actually means is just a little Christ. Someone that is so full of Christ-likeness that they're able to be called Christians. And I know that today, in this world at least, that sometimes Christians can also be... It's a weird name now. It kind of has like a bad stare... Uh, kind of has a bad name to it. We always say now, I'm a disciple of Jesus because Christians have had such a bad rep. But the thing is, that's a name, that's a title, that's a place of honor because when people acknowledge that you are a Christian and they see it, what they're really saying is, I see so much of Jesus in you that I want to continue to be like you. You walk in the way of Jesus. I want to look like that. I want to be like that. And this is the first place. And what's so interesting too about this and being called Christians is because this was both of a mix of Jews and Gentiles together being in line called Christ. And really what Christ is comes from the Greek of 
Messiah. So to be able to partner, to have the spirit of the Messiah, the likeness of the Messiah, both in Jew and Gentile, and bringing that sense of identity begins to grow, and you begin to see the church coming to a sense of identity of knowing who they are. And because when uh, people... Because when there's a sense of identity, what begins to happen, those roots are grounded and strong. And now what begins to happen is now the seed inside, the actual plant, begins to break out of its shell and shoot up to the soil. And what begins to happen is it becomes sprouted. And so let's see now, after maybe a couple years, that the church is actually developed in Antioch. This happens, uh, this event happened with Antioch. In Acts chapter 11, 27 through 29, it says... And one of them named Agabus stood up and foretold by the Spirit that they would be a, there would be a great famine all over the world. So the disciples determined everyone according to his ability to send relief to the brothers living in Judea. So what begins to happen is that this church is beginning to see who they are and the purpose that they have in this nation, in their own city. And they hear about a problem that is about to happen in Antioch and pretty much in the Roman Empire. And so the church can make a decision at this point to say, you know what? We need to help this community. What can we do to be a part of this? Because they're able to identify the problem and see the solution that would happen. They're able to walk in a place where they can know where to go, what to do, because everything has been rooted in them. Because if they first came to as Christ and received Jesus, but then this problem came up, what would they do? They would still walk in the ways in which the world would be. But because they've been discipled and transformed and rooted in this, they noticed that they didn't actually have fear of what was to come, but instead they actually just said, you know, what can we do to help and bring hope into this? And so in that, when they're able to make the decisions, they're able to walk in the maturity. As it says, a prophet came and spoke to them. And for them to actually listen to the Lord and actually discern of this coming from him, to be able to understand the truth and the message that was given to them, they were able to respond to that in truth and to know the heart of God and to know what is needed to be done. And being a part of understanding that true identity and sprouting out is able to take in information. Because as I said, with the sprout that comes out from the soil, it no longer needs to take the roots. It doesn't need the food underground, but it takes everything from above from the sun, from the temperature, from its own food that it makes. That's the same way when we as a church will grow out, when we get out of the soil into an actual plant, then what we begin to do is now we get to take everything from our Heavenly Father who is in heaven, that we get to receive and pour out everything that He can speak to us so that we can able to walk and identify in a community in the way that we can live for Him. Amen. And then now, let's kind of go back. We look at the Church of Antioch, and we hear of the amazing things as it started with two men from two different places, two different locations, trusting God to move all the way to a place that they do not know, seeing a move of God happen, seeing the church develop through the apostles and through Paul and through Barnabas, to be able to see the church making its own decisions when problems would come. And let's go back now to where we were at in Acts 13. 1 through 3, and let's reread it with the context of what we've learned from Antioch. Now there were in church at Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simon, who is called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menaean, a lifelong friend of Herod, the Tetrarch, and Saul. And while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. 
Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. So again, now we just kind of repeated what is actually happening with Antioch and seeing how they developed into this movement now. Maybe this has been probably a year or two. And they just continue to seek and desire the Lord. And you begin to see that this church now has an identity of its own because now it's grown into a place of fruitfulness. They're seen, as you, can, as you see, it says they were praying and they were fasting. And I don't think that anyone just told them, but they just knew from what they had been taught before that this is part of the lifestyle of the church in which we, need, which we were called to be. And so they were bearing fruit and seeing a lot of work happening in God, in the church. But the Holy Spirit said, now it's time to m- go and send Paul and Barnabas off for the work that which I have called them to, to be the next laborers, to plant the seeds. Because as I said before, when a fruit is bared and you pull it down, what does that do? It produces more seeds to where you can go to another place and plant more seeds in different locations all around. What does that open up for? Well, for the church, when we bear fruit, it means that we are made to multiply. We are made to be planters. As the term goes, I am a church planter. That's where we get this idea. We plant churches to see them be multiplied into fruit. As we know with Antioch, they had this feeling. They could have made the choice to keep Barnabas and Saul. I mean, those are like two powerhouses. I mean, we read all of Paul's epistles. That guy has a lot of stuff. But they were willing to say, you know what? We'll let Paul and Barnabas go for the work that which God has called them to. We won't keep them for ourselves. Because the importance is that the Antioch's vision was not in making a better church, but is in expanding the church with a capital C. They wanted to see the church in the Roman Empire and all over the world grow into the way that which God has called it to. And because of that, they brought a kingdom culture. It says that they. It says in the first verse, in verse uh, one of chapter thirteen that all these men that were named came from different places, that not many of them were actually from Antioch in the very first place. And they actually came from very different jobs, very different places. It says from Barnabas. Barnabas was a Jew from Cyprus. He had no relationship with Antioch, and yet he trusted the Lord when he was sent out by the church of Jerusalem to check and see what was happening in that place. Lucius, he was from Cyrene. He might have been the one who first started the church plant or not. We do not know. But he came from a place very, very far away to be able to be a part of a move of God that's happening in the church of Antioch. Menaeum, as a man who had aristocratic connections, like let's say with someone who works for our government today, someone decided to leave that lifestyle to move and be a part of another church. Even for Paul, he was a Jew and he was a, he was a really high and well-respected rabbi from Tarsus, a completely different place that's not in Antioch. Or Jerusalem. Then you also have Simon or Niger, who was from Cyrene. I mean, and even with tr- church tradition, it says that he might have actually been the one that have helped Jesus carry the cross as he's going up to Golgotha. And so you see this kind of beautiful kingdom that God is developing. That the church is not necessarily just one set of people group, but it's been a mixture of a bunch of people coming together to see a work of God move in a nation. Because God doesn't want to just partner with one nation for one nation, but he wants to partner all the nations to come together. Because that's what the kingdom of God is about. There's no line of who we are. There's no space of saying what we can or cannot do or what our culture defines us as. But God's kingdom defines us as one in the image and likeness of Christ. 
Our purpose is to be able to see Jesus move in our lives. And our purpose is to send people out. We want to see a move of God happen. I remember our district supervisor, uh, Pastor Fernando, was talking about how his dream for at least the Southwest District was to partner and see every church on every street corner. Not to just see one mega church happen, but to see multiple churches being planted and seeing so many people partner together because that's the kingdom of God, is partnering with one another. The reason why we send out people is just it's to multiply his garden. We, right? One little plant in this room is pretty, right? But multiple plants even make it more beautiful, is that correct? I remember one of my favorite places to drive is in Temecula. And you go and drive down this orchard area. And all you see is just these fruits and these vegetables and all of these grapes and vineyards all around. And you see the beauty of it. And that's how I want to envision the church, is that when people walk into God's kingdom and sees the church, they walk and say, wow, what is this? We want their breath to be taken away. To see one giant plant is incredible. I mean, if you go to Sequoia and you see those giant trees, they're amazing. But one tree doesn't make the difference. One big tree doesn't make the difference. It's all the trees that make the difference, that make it worth going up there to see. It's a partnering and it's a relationship. It's the way that God will operate in our lives if we just are willing to be his laborers. And we're also willing not just to be laborers, but that we're also willing to be the seed and be rooted, to be sprouted and come into our identity and have fruit to be bared so that we may release our seeds to others. Because everybody has a part to play. As it says, when we talk about Paul, when he was writing to the Corinthian church at the time, they had so many people come in through that city. It was a very popular city. And you had Paul, and you had Apollos, and maybe even Peter that had walked in. And when Paul's writing to these Corinthians, asking him, you know, when Paul's writing to the Corinthians, they're confused because they say, well, this person came to me, so I'll follow him, or this person came to me because I'll follow him, or because I like them more. But Paul's saying, no, 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 no. Listen, it's not about who comes and does what. But in 1 Corinthians 3, 6, it says, I, Paul, planted the seed, and Apollos watered it, but God is the one that makes it grow. This is his garden. We go back from the very beginning. He's a farmer. We're the laborers. We don't get to take credit for what we do because it's not our garden. It's his. And it's always going to be his. But the beautiful part of it is that God, the farmer, has invited us to show us how to do these things. I remember and I think back when, as laborers and trying to figure out how to actually like, plant a seed, how to actually grow, well, the only one that could teach you is the farmer, and he's willing to give you the tools to equip you into doing that stuff. He's able to show you and walk with you into how this can be operated. That's why Jesus spent so long with the disciples, because he wanted to show them the way and the tools to expand the church, to love people, to live as Christ. And that's the same way when people come in, we go to different churches. We come to churches because we want to be able to grow and bear fruit. But we also want to come to churches to be able to raise people up, to send them out, to partner with other churches, or to plant other churches. Because our whole heart is kingdom mindset. It's to be able to let everybody hear the truth of the gospel. And they come to just my big idea near the end. We're all here to contribute to his work when we choose to work together. When we choose to work together and partner with God, we'll get to see that dream come true of knowing that churches are planted everywhere from either different denominations or whatever it may look like. 
God wants to see his body come together. He wants to see this beautiful garden. He wants people to walk through this garden and say, wow. That's, our heart cry. That's his heart cry. That's the farmer's desire. That's every gardener's desire, is that when people will look through to say, hey, I can eat out of this apple because it's going to feed me for the right information and the right comfort that will keep me strong and healthy. Part of having a garden is to be able to see the beauty but also be fed and to survive to be able to live, to be able to place us. In fact, that was the whole reason when God put us in the garden in the very first place. He never said that I put you in a city, but first let me put you in a garden. Because he wants us to walk in the ways, in a place of garden. Because what does a garden require? Tenderness and love. You cannot go to a plant and yell at it saying, Hey, grow! Right? That'd be kind of weird. But in fact... Being a gardener requires some dirty work too. You got to get on your knees. You got to put those gloves on. You got to get in that dirt. And you got to take care of that plant. Because it's that plant that's going to grow into something beautiful and that's going to produce more fruit and more seeds to build a better garden.